the number of adults who are trying to deal with as parents with their adult children now is on the rise. And the big question that everyone is asking is, how are we supposed to do this? Because no one ever told us how to raise our children once they became adults because this is such a different season in life. I found an expert for you, and today we're going to have a conversation here. The expert, of course, is Jim Burns. And Jim Burns is the author of a brand new book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out. Jim Burns, welcome to the program. Roger, great to be with you, and great to be talking about a world in which both you and I live in. That's right. We certainly do. When and we first started hanging out, we weren't living in this world. Our <laughs> no, kids were younger. No, they were really young. I mean, I remember the, the early homeward days and a lot of the scenes that I was writing for your short features, and you know, we are working together on that. Um, and they were born of our experiences. Your girls were a couple years ahead of my kids, and my son was really younger. But now we both have like, one in the 30s, two in the 20s. Your kids are all in their 30s. And you're grandpa twice, and I'm a grandpa once. And yeah. so, and we look at this, and these are all very real, pertinent problems that Christians are facing. Well, yeah. I remember when Kathy, as our kids started getting older, she goes, you know, I thought it was going to be a little simpler. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. it's not. And I keep meeting people who are saying, wait, my kids are violating their values that we grew up uh, helping them have. Um, they're straying from faith. They're struggling with certain issues. They don't agree with us. Uh, they're much more tolerant on certain mm-hmm. issues. And so I'm finding a, a real important listening audience saying, help, we need help in terms of this phase of life. Because like you said at the very beginning of the broadcast, we've never done it this way before. But you know what? I don't think parents have done it yet this way. No, It's a new world. It's a brand new world. Jim Burns is in studio with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We've got a link for his brand new book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Doing Life with Your Adult Children is the name of the book. Jim, let's take a look at this from how you came up with these statistics, because, I mean, a lot of it's anecdotal. You talk to people. They're all having a problem. You decided, okay, we're going to set up some focus groups. We're going to have some dialogue conversation. How did you begin to get your arms around this problem? Well, first of all, Roger, somebody asked me to speak in Honolulu on this subject, and I said to them, my, Twist they're my your good arm friends. To go to Honolulu, You've been there right? with me yeah. once mm-hmm. at a conference, about yeah. 4,500 people. And uh, I said, no. But don't put me in the slot because Kathy and I desperately need whoever you get. And I want to sit there with, you know, Uh write, take notes. I think our kids were in college at the time. And uh, they called back and said, no, we think it's you. So I actually gave a talk. And when I started talking about, well, really, back to what I was saying, you know, straying from faith, you know, violating value, harder, they boomerang back in. They're costing us money. They groaned. Mm. Now, people have groaned, I'm sure, at my talks, at least silently. (laughs) But they groaned audibly because they were so tied into it. it they didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So over a period of years, I started you know, just kind of messing with that. And then we started doing focus groups. And these focus groups, we'd bring parents who had adult children in. And of the seven that I can remember, six of them, the people cried in it. Now, the focus group wasn't mm-hmm. me teaching. It was mm-hmm. me asking questions asking about, questions. are you enabling your kids or are you helping your kids? Are you enabling dependency on yourself or are you launching them. How do you deal with the money? How do you deal with broken values and things like that? And what we found out was, wow, we are hitting something huge. Now that the book is out, it's only been out a very short time, what we're seeing on a daily basis is people are saying, wow, A, they say thank you, which they don't get that with every book, and you Mm -hmm. know I've written some books. But B, um, they're saying, help us us deal with our, our kid who's still living at home, 29 years old. He got this today. Still living at home, 29 years old. He's playing video games. And we're paying for everything. And I had to say to them, you know, his, he has a good life. Mm-hmm. His, my son has a problem. No, actually, you have a problem. Yeah. And you're going to have to help that kid launch. And I'm, I, I hear that too often now. 
One of the things I appreciate about this brand new book, Jim, is the fact that you are taking the approach of saying, look, a lot of parents are saying, how can I help my kid? And they're focusing exclusively on the kid. Mm. You're saying, look, you want to help your kid. Let's focus on you. Yeah. Well, part of it, you know, I mean, the part of that is is really true. In fact, I said to somebody last week, you know, as a parent of an adult, you've got to get as emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy and even physically healthy Mm -hmm. because you're in for a ride. If the bottom line is to help them become responsible adults and if they're kind of fighting that, especially because kids and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, but because adult kids, that's kind of an oxymoron. You know, I, my kids used to go, I'm, I, I'm an adult, Dad. And I'm mm-hmm. going, yeah, but you're 18, and I'm, I'm paying for everything. And I know you're in college, but, you know, there's, there's still a cell phone bill and all this. So it's kind of that oxymoron. But the, but the point being is that they are meandering toward responsibility, mm-hmm. where that wasn't the case in my generation. Right, right. I don't mean this as like those were the good old days, but, you know, Kathy and I went to college. We got married right out of college, and we became adults. We had responsibilities. Sure. And you were in your early 20s. Exactly. So that's not the experience that kids today are having. So it's not the experience that the adults of these kids are having. Mm-hmm. So there's – and, you know, you you now add a blended fang, family, single issues. Uh, you don't like the in-law or you don't like the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Or, you know, today so many of them – it's what I call the cringe factor. So many of them – of these kids are moving to cohabitation where that mm-hmm. wasn't the case right. in a previous generation. Did they cohabitate? Sure, but not to this level. And so, you know, it's really compounding the issues that parents of adult children are having today. Dr. Jim Burns, president of Homeward, is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The brand new book is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jim, you just said something interesting that I want to circle back around on in terms of uh, the, the kids and the parents and the dilemma, especially as they are now you know older and we're still referring to 29-year-olds as kids and things mm-hmm. of that nature. How many parents have you spoken with or did your research indicate that there's an issue with regard to the parent having to say, wait a minute, but I brought them up in church, but they went to Christian school. In other words, we did everything right, and they're still acting like this. Well, we were surprised at the amount. In fact, I would say it's almost a majority for Mm -hmm. something. I mean, again, everybody doesn't have a bad story. Yeah. And I actually want to affirm people who are saying, you know what, it wasn't perfect, and we have some bruises, but, you know, our kids are responsible adults Mm -hmm. now. They have launched. Great. But I would say the majority are saying, didn't see it going that way. Mm -hmm. Right. And because that's the case, I think they have a silent shame factor because they did do it right. This is a generation of parents who were doing right sure. stuff. They were doing the kind of things that back in our day when you and I were doing you know, the Homeward broadcast over and over again, this was good content. These people were living it out. Mm-hmm. They were doing everything they could to energize their kids' spiritual life. They were doing the right things. They were now beginning to talk to their kids about you know, a God-honoring sexuality and all sure. this. And then, boy, it just didn't totally turn out that way. So the thing I say to parents all the time, you've heard me say this before, but I say really good parents have kids who make poor choices. Yeah. And we're still a matter – it's still a matter of kids making choices on their own that sometimes they've got to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was speaking with a woman just, again, a couple of months ago, and we were talking about this kid who just went off the deep end and now kind of coming back. But I said, well, you know what? She's going to have a testimony. And unfortunately, there are some great people out there who have had to learn the hard way. Uh, I'm in a small group. I meet every – Tuesday with them. And those guys, they have some stories. They're the most incredible Christian leaders I know. And yet they all in college kind of had some bumps and bruises along the way. Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's made them who they are. I'm sure their parents were going crazy during that time. But, you know, it's not just because they made some experimental decisions that are bad that, you know, life is 
at an end. But you know, you got to realize you're in it for the marathon, not for just the sprint. Right, right. That's great counsel from Dr. Jim Burns as we have this conversation about the new book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Uh, one of the chapters early on, uh, you talk about the, those two words that were made famous, you're fired. That's right. Uh, a lot of parents don't want to hear that, but there does come a point if yeah. a child's going to launch into adulthood, right, where they're basically saying, you're fired as my provider, enabler, whatever it is. Talk about why it's important for parents to realize Well, that. that's a hard one because, you know, you invest two decades of your life at least into your kids day to day thinking you're partly in control. You know, we, we probably are in less control than we yeah, think we are, but, true. you know, we're kind of in control even for the ones who have younger ones. But all of a sudden, my you're fired means you have to reinvent the relationship because you truly have a parent-child relationship. And what you've got to move to is more of an adult-adult relationship. And that's not easy. That's not easy for the kid. It's not easy for the parent. So there is this reinvention. You've got to give them the passport mm-hmm. to adulthood. And doing that, that means that your old style of parenting means that you're fired. Now, you know, my dad at 89 years old was still calling me Jimmy and I was his son and I called <laughs> yeah, him dad. I yeah, mean, and sure. he was my dad, of uh-huh. course. But the relationship does change. And what I'm just trying to say to parents in that first opening section is it, it does change. So take notice. Uh, don't do the same things you were doing because, again, kids have to be really, if they're going to be adults, they have to be um, treated like adults by their parents. And so a lot of parents will say, but my kids aren't acting like adults. Okay, well, then you're, they're going to have some consequences, and you're going to have to give them some of those kind of consequences, not like you did when they were 10, but it may be consequences about financial. Maybe you were paying for everything, and now you're going to have to remove some of that. Even if you could afford it, it's not a smart thing to pay for everything for your kids. Right. That's great counsel from Dr. Jim Burns today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as we continue. We'll start talking about uh, what happens when uh, your child doesn't seem to be maturing into adulthood and all of a sudden he's 29 and playing video games and you're Mm -hmm. thinking, how do I kick this kid out? Well, more of that conversation with Dr. Jim Burns in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Dr. Jim Burns is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Brand new book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jim, how, the subtitle is just kind of makes me smile. Right? <laughs> well, it kind of summarizes the book, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. But, but how hard is it for parents to get their arms around this? I mean, first of all, why is it important to do those two things? And secondly, how hard is it? Well, if I stick out my tongue, will you see the scar on my tongue? Because oh. I'm a fixer. Mm-hmm. I want to give advice sure. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so the keep your mouth shut means that there's times when even if you have the right input, you've just got to pretty much, you know, keep your mouth shut. But at the same time, you've got to keep the welcome mat out. I, you know, I oftentimes say to people that when they say to me, you know, my my kid is struggling with, it could be gender identity to drugs and alcohol to walking away from faith, whatever. And and I'll oftentimes say, do, do they know what you believe? Yes. Do, do you know, do they know how you feel? Mm-hmm. Well, then don't be a one-topic parent. Go out and have a you know, welcome, keep the welcome mat out, love on them. Because if they crash, and most likely they will with some mm-hmm. of their poor behavior, not that every adult child makes poor behaviors, but a lot of them do, uh, they'll come back to you if you have the welcome mat out. Mm-hmm. But you can still have the welcome mat out. You can still keep your mouth shut, and you can still act like, you know, their adult parent, if you would. And so that that's an important phrase for me, keep your mouth shut, the welcome mat out. And it's not easy. You know, we talk about, in the book, we talk about unsolicited advice is taken as criticism. Mm-hmm. And parents will kind of shake their heads when I say that when I'm speaking because they kind of go, wow, that is so true when I give my kids advice. But yet you're still their parent. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the, the 45-year-old woman who was in the Silicon Valley and she's a vice president of a major tech firm. We'd all know the name. 
And she said she was over at her mom's house. And her mom said, honey, it's cold outside. Put on a coat before you walk out. <laughs> and she goes, mom, I'll, I can decide if I put on a coat or uh-huh, not. And uh-huh. what she was thinking is, I'm 45 years old. I've made millions of dollars. Yeah. I think I'm pretty capable. And she goes, mom, I, I can do that. Why are you even telling me to do it? And she said, because I'm your mother. Now go mm. put the coat on. Mm-hmm. Later, I said to the woman, hey, by the way, did you did you put your coat on? And she goes, of course. It was my mom. <laughs> yeah, and she yeah. goes, I so badly didn't want to do it. Uh-huh. But you know, that's the nature of a parent to yeah. take care of their child no matter what the age. How do you well, – you write about the difference between really helping and actually enabling yeah. a child. Can you help us understand yeah. a good example of what that looks well, like? Well, one of the questions you have to ask is in enabling, am I enabling dependency on me? Mm. So if you're helping somebody, mm-hmm. it's very – I mean – we we're helping our adult children right now. They're moving back in a few weeks right. from Texas to California. Kathy and I are going out there. I'm actually on the way back from a speaking trip in Guatemala. But we're going to help. Well, we'll probably watch the kids and they'll do more of the packing. But you know, we're going to we're helping them do that. They're coming back and living with us for a couple of months as they get well, they get settled settled. That's helping. However enabling dependency, if I'm enabling, then that means that we're giving them all the money, we're making it the easiest thing, we're saying, come and live at our house for as long as you want. And we'll pay all the bills. We'll and, pay yeah. for everything you got and, and while you, you know, do something else, or it's like the kid who's who's doing the video games. Yeah. Wait, you he has your credit card mm-hmm. and you're frustrated because he doesn't have a job, but he, he's, he goes out with his friends really late then he comes home. When he gets up, he plays these video games, and then that's one o'clock. And then in the afternoon, wait, you just told me that you cook a dinner for him different than what you cook for other members of your family. What are you thinking? That's that's, that's enabling. enabling, and that's to an, a greater extent. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, Roger, we do that with money. We do that with time. We do that with um, the way we allow them to, even if they're living in our home, the way we allow them to to live in our home against our morals and values. Now, again, you can't do much when they're adults if they're outside of the home. But if they're living within the home, I'm not saying that's a wise idea. Like for us, it would be an absolute no-no for our kids to, thank God they didn't, but for, to have brought the, we had all daughters, we have all daughters, but to have brought boys into the room to sleep with them. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't happen in our home. Again, we couldn't legislate what they were doing outside. Fortunately, our kids were making some di- good decisions. But I, I see parents who do that. Well, that's enabling some of those kinds of behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, make it harder for them. When our kids got to a certain age, we said, this is not the Burns Hotel any longer. Here's your responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. My friend David Peck, who you know mm-hmm. so well yes. from Azusa Pacific, um, he gave his son, when he moved back into the house, a bucket with a scrub brush and said, you're now in charge of the upstairs bathroom, and that bathroom needs to be clean once a week if you want to live here. If you uh-huh. don't want to live here, that's fine. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Hand us back the bucket, and you know, you're on your own. Sure. Well, guess what? The kid cleaned the toilet. He'd never done that before, but he learned how to do it. Good good parenting move on uh, David and his wife, Trina. Dr. Jim Burns is my guest in studio today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're discussing his extremely popular book. And I, I, know, I realize every time you write a book, you want to help parents, you want to help families, you want to help people. But I, I'm sure there's a part of you as an author that says, wow, I'm glad this book is selling so well. But at the same time with this topic, you're saying, gosh, it's really a drag this book is selling this well because yeah. so many people have life with issues with their adult children. Yeah. And keeping your mouth shut and keeping the welcome mat out is so hard when you've put so much into those lives. Well, you know what? A lot of parents will read books when their kids are little. 
Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you quit. You know, you're after and you figure they're 20, I can't do anything no, else. No, exactly. But I think one of the reasons this book, and we were talking about this before the broadcast, that the book has gone crazy. And I think one of the reasons is because parents are like, wow, we didn't see this coming. We don't understand it. So they're looking for content. When I started looking for content to do that seminar that we talked about mm-hmm. at the beginning of the broadcast, and I did, I'd never read a book on this subject. By the way, it was really good for me to read other books. Mm-hmm. Well, there were, there were three books that I could find. Uh, I went online, and there wasn't much stuff either. Today, more and more there is because it's the uh, experience of parents who are helicopter parents, or now they're calling snowplow parents, yes. and you know, going on and on. So we're feeling the, those vibrations. But when I first started, there were no books out there. And in fact, to be honest, a lot of the good material was actually done in the secular world, not in the Christian world, because I think they were a little bit ahead of us on this. Mm-hmm. Um, we Christians had not gotten to the point to talk about it. So I think as parents— this is another shot at us to go, wait, we're in a different time period in our life. We've got to revamp how we're doing this or, because it's not working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the same time, a lot of these parents are you know, struggling with their own sandwich generation of their own parents being ill or they're dealing with other issues within their life. And, and so, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting time. Even when your kids, for us, when our kids moved out of the house, finally, because all of our kids boomeranged back, mm-hmm. you know, we were empty nesters looking at each other going, wait, we've put a lot of energy into our kids what are we going to do tonight? Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. You realize that. Uh, talk about the cultural side of this because you yeah. mentioned the fact that a lot of the books that you did research from mm-hmm. were right. books that weren't necessarily geared for the church per se, right. but looking at the culture. Society's changed a lot. Society has changed, and I actually did a chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters. You know, I like culture, mm-hmm. but it's one of my favorite chapters to help parents understand their kids, the millennials, and even Gen Z is coming along pretty mm-hmm. quick. Yeah. For example, Gen Z. I just wrote something on it yesterday, not for the book, but just wrote it that. You know, double the amount of atheist Gen Z kids. So these are younger kids, 18 and under, say, mm-hmm. than even the millennials. So, you know, you're beginning to see some complicated faith issues and whatnot. So one of the things that I try to do is help them understand that they have distinctives. And the distinctives of the generation of their children, not necessarily theirs, is that, one, they're shaped by technology. Mm-hmm. That didn't mean we didn't have technology, but today that's how they work. That's how they uh, order their food. Mm-hmm. That's um, how they connect with each other. My daughter, Heidi, uh, she was living in New York. She's now in L.A., but she goes, oh, I'm in touch with all my New York friends every day. And I go, so are you calling? Yeah. She goes, well, dad, I'm texting, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, and so with her. I'm Snapchatting. Exactly. Yeah. So she's in touch with them social media-wise and whatnot. So, so you know, technology rules the world. It'll never change. But we forget that. And so I was talking to a grandparent the other day who said, I just got to figure out how to, you know, do FaceTime because I want to stay in touch with my grandkids. Yes. And I went, that's easy. Good. I, I'm 65 years old. I actually showed them. You'd be proud of me, Roger. I, I showed them how to get on FaceTime because I go, this changes my life. I talk to my grandkids who are now in Texas, coming back to California mm-hmm. here. But I, I'm in touch with them most days because of FaceTime. Right. And in their mind, because they're younger, it's just a natural. But you know what? My daughter and her husband, they use that all the time. Mm-hmm. So they're shaped by technology. Secondly, they meander. I used that term before, mm-hmm. but they're meandering toward marriage and they're meandering toward responsibility. We were more or less forced to do that. Yeah. But because we as parents sometimes give our kids more than our parents gave us in terms of finances, housing, all these other experiences, we were it was just assumed we were out on our own. Mm-hmm. But today, because we do so much of that, they tend to meander. Now, the meandering can be good because I don't think it was always healthy for people to get married right out of high school. Right. I, mean, I really right. don't. But now they're meandering toward marriage, and sometimes they're carrying a lot of baggage into that because of 
whatever those meandering experiences are. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were cohabitating first and then they came back right. or whatever. Right. You see a lot of kids leaving the church. Well, some of those people as young adults are beginning to come back to the church once they get married, once they have kids. That's good news. But in this meand, it, it is the nature. And, and a lot of parents are like, what in the world is this person doing? You know, I mm-hmm. need to go to Europe to find myself. Well, yeah. why? I can give you all the answers myself <laughs> right now. But, you know, it's that generation. Uh-huh. The other aspect of the distinctive, which I think is fascinating, is that they view tolerance as a form of loving. And, mm-hmm. and I have always thought about you when I've said these phrases, because as I started looking at this generation, what's the difference? Parents at the Christmas uh, uh, dinner table or at the Thanksgiving dinner table always had opinions about politics. They had mm-hmm. opinions about gender identity. They had opinions about drug and alcohol. They had opinions about pornography. They had opinions about lot. Well, now their kids are t- much more tolerant, even though they were raised in the church. And so they maybe have a biblical worldview, but in their biblical worldview, it's sometimes different than our biblical worldview. Right, right. So we might say a, a comment that's very scriptural. But in their mind, they're no, Jesus would have been much more of a lover of those kinds of people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, what does the Bible say about this or whatever? So the point being is that a lot of arguments now happening at the Thanksgiving table and the Christmas table because of viewing tolerance as a form of loving. Now, I think we as Christians must be tolerant. At the same time, we have to somehow as parents be in the messy middle. How do we embrace a biblical theology and at the same time embrace people who have a different opinion than us? And we may be in shock that those people who have a different opinion are our own kids. Yes. Oh, well, that's powerful insight from Dr. Jim Burns today here on the broadcast. Doing Life with Your Adult Children is the name of the book. Uh, Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Great conversation today here on the broadcast as we continue. We're going to talk a little bit more about what happens when your grown child violates your values and uh, what about entitlements in children, especially Mm -hmm. adult kids too. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Dr. Jim Burns is my in-studio guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Doing life with your adult children, keep the welcome, uh, keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. See, I, I, would, I would think that doing it the opposite way would be better, but I realized that you got to keep your mouth shut first because they won't pay attention to the welcome mat if you're talking to it saying, look, it's out here, but I'm going to tell you, give you peace of my mind. Do you know that I have the same problem? I, I've written the book. I mm-hmm. created the subtitle and yet, I, you know, I go back and forth. I think it's kind of interchangeable, but you're right. We do. I would say the harder thing for most people, welcome mat is, is easier. Yeah. It's the keeping your mouth shut, yeah. especially when you have the right answer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so many times I, I realize I do have the right answer, mm-hmm. and they aren't really ready yet. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the that movie Field of Dreams. I love the movie. Oh, yeah. If you build it, they will come. I was talking about baseball. But if you if you keep your mouth shut, they will come back to you. I'm mm-hmm. sure this is the case with your kids, and mm-hmm. it is with mine. Yeah. I've become more of a mentor to them. Mm-hmm. But it's on their terms, not on my terms. Sure. See. Well, it's kind of come full circle when you think about it. There, there was a time in American life, especially in the church, where father did know best. You right. know, not just right. Robert Young. Father did know best. And then we had, you know, young people becoming empowered, and now they've been raised to think they're the center of the universe. And so they really do come from a position of, I'll prove you wrong. But as you are writing about this in this new book, there is, you've got to have space for both. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat open. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out gives you the opportunity to say when they do come back around. Right. Maybe you don't know all the technological advances they're dealing with, but if you've got biblical wisdom, you do have a lot of uh, information for them. Well, to you do. And just because you keep the welcome mat out doesn't mean that you give them everything. I mean, I love, love the story of the prodigal son, although I, I'm calling it more and more the loving father. Mm-hmm. So the son goes away, spends the inheritance, uh, ends up in a pig farm, which you know has the ironic part of you know being <laughs> Jewish and in a pig, pig farm. farm yeah. But what does the father do? The father welcomes him back. But I don't see in that scripture, and again, you can read into scripture because it doesn't say it, but I don't see him probably giving him all of the inheritance money back again and all the other things. There's consequences to our actions. That's good parenting. Mm-hmm. Allow the consequences to go through, but you can still keep the welcome mat out. Oh, I'm so sorry that, you know, you broke your cell phone. Uh, well, you know, I hope I hope you can you know quickly get a job, <laughs> yeah. or I hope you can quickly make some money so you can have that self. Have you priced new ones? You know yes. that's, that that no. kind of question, right? Sure. No, yeah. right, right, exactly. And again, that's frankly good for adult children, <laughs> but it's also good for you know a eleven year old who gets their first cell phone too. Yeah, yeah. Good good advice from Dr. Jim Burns. Uh, we'll take a quick break here and then come back with more of this conversation about how to do life with your adult children. More and more adult parents in their fifties and sixties are realizing, hey, it's not like it was when we were growing up. You hit 21, 22, finish college, get married, get a job, and move on. The lines are a lot blurrier now. And we're talking about how to uh, see clearly through the blurring of the lines when it comes to raising adult children. Well, it's always great to have Jim Burns join us in the studio here at the Bottom Line Show. Great conversation to kick off 2024. Jim's classic book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away here on Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Dr. Jim Burns is my in-studio guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I always enjoy these opportunities, Jim, that you and I get a chance to uh, have conversation, and especially about a book that I've been rooting for you to write for Mm. the longest time, and I'm glad you finally did, and obviously most of America is glad you did, too, because it's soaring up the sales charts. The brand-new book called Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Uh, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned something earlier, Jim, that I wanted to kind of circle back around on, and that is regarding to values and rules and things like that. I was talking to a pastor's wife, uh, someone you and I both know, uh, several months ago, and she was really just shaking her head because her son is working full-time, lives at home, and yet the question was, how do we enforce the rules? Because he's a nice kid, he's a good kid, but he wants to bring his friends over, they want to stay up late watching TV or playing cards or whatever they do, and when he was a kid, it was easy. He just said 10.30, 11 o'clock, everyone goes home. 
Now he's an adult, and he kind of looks at me funny like, well, wait, I'm not hurting anybody, and you know, what are we doing? Talk, talk about the values and rules part. I mean, yeah, that, that right. seems to be one that the parents don't really want to talk right. about. Right, and we do have to negotiate some of it because they are older. I remember when our daughter Becca came back from college, I was still expecting her to you know, be home at 10 o'clock, and that wasn't. And she was just getting started at 10 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> and so we actually had to say, Becca, here's our deal. As long as you live at our house, uh, we're not going to enforce exactly what time you come home, but you need to text us because we're tired and we're staying up because we're worrying about you. And so, I, you know, I think there are some of those kinds of conversations where you ne- we negotiated, actually. We allowed her to, to live a life that a young adult would live mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. But at the same time, I think, Roger, you honestly sit down, never in the heat of the motion, and you, you develop some of those kind of boundaries. You say, hey, you know what? Here at our house, and we're so glad you're here for this time period. But in there, you de- you negotiate some of the boundaries ahead of time. Yeah. We want you to have people over, but here's the deal: this is a home where we're getting up in the morning and we're going to go to work. And so, what we're going to ask is that you know, at this hour, uh, you and your friends either find someplace else to go, find something else to do. But we're kind of closing down shop. We had to do that. We have a backyard that's a cool backyard and has it a is. pool it is. and a spa and all that. And our kids. When they came back as young adults, their friends, in their mind, it would be fine to be out there late. And we said, sorry, it's 10 o'clock. And we weren't doing that for us. We didn't care. It was our neighbors. neighbors. So we had to take that stand. And I know I got some eye rolls. I didn't get from my kids, well, you're the, you're really thinking about everybody else. What servants you are and yeah. what a witness you are to the neighborhood. <laughs> They're like, seriously, guys? Yeah. Uh, but we said, that's that's our role. Uh-huh. So that's that's how it goes. Then I think you have to enforce those rules. So whatever they are, I don't think you have multiple huge amount of rules, but I think you have some some rules. And I actually talk about this in the book specifically. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, so that we don't have them just living in the house forever, I think we actually have to have an exit strategy. And again, good illustration is my daughter Becca. The exit strategy is she called she was she had a roommate, the girlfriend moved, and uh so she said, hey, can I move in for like two months? And we went, oh, that would be a joy. And we did. It was wonderful. We did say it's not the Burns Hotel. Here's some some yeah. things. But she abided by all that in a great way. Then she decides to go to grad school. So now we're looking at ourselves going, well, we're helping her. And she goes, hey, I'm, I'm, I want to go to grad school. I really don't have the amount of money to pay for, you know, room mm-hmm. and board. Sure. What do you? How do you want to work this? And so we actually cut a deal with her that was really good for her, really good for us. And mm-hmm. that was as long as you're in grad school and as long as you're you know keeping those grades up and all that. Not that we were necessarily even checking. Mm-hmm. We found out later she got straight A's. But fine, you know this is great. So we actually got her for two years. Then mm-hmm. that was marvelous. It well, was wonderful, especially because you sat down and said, "Okay, let's yes. negotiate this." Right. It didn't just kind of happen. And there's brooding resentment. No, no, no. and you hear that all the yeah. time. You hear where and some parents need to have the leadership to make those kinds of decisions. Once Becca was out of university, you know, getting her master's, then we had to say, okay, what's your your plans now? And then we renegotiate. And I don't think you use the word negotiate Mm -hmm. to your kids or the word contract, but that's what you're doing. Now you renegotiate and you kind of set up a contract. Here's what our expectations are and, and how can we help you? All for the purpose of doing that. We're doing that with our with our kids coming back. We're charging them $500 a month to be at our house as a rent. Now, we also said that $500 is going to go in a bank account and then when you guys get out, it's going to help them get a house. That's why mm-hmm. they're staying at our house. Okay. Then we're going to give you that money back, but we honestly want that money on the right. first. Now, right. we don't want we don't need the money. Mm-hmm. To be honest, it's not going to change our life that much. I $500 would be great if you want to give me it. Sure. But the point being is we're trying to help them still become responsible. They mm-hmm. need to get in the habit of writing, writing the that check. check. Yeah. 
definitely. I remember talking to a counseling friend of mine uh, one time who made that comment uh, with regard to uh, what placing value on things. Yep. And he said, I don't care if they're insurance for the couple that's coming in for marital counseling. I don't care how much it costs. I always have a $20 fee. If they don't have a copay, I make it up. Yeah. And I said, why do you do that? Do you need the money? He goes, no. He goes, but it has to be worth something to them. Yeah. And I want them to come in and say, here's the check or swipe the card or whatever right. it is. And I think what, you, what you're doing here, Jim, is giving a lot of parents permission to say, oh, I can do that with my kids. Oh, you're, you're, you're so right. So my daughter, Heidi, you know her. She's a character. Yes, and she's wonderful. And she is an incredible person. I mean, she works in the business world and her husband is amazing. And they were living in New York. And one of their best friends who lives in New York, but Heidi had even known her from before, made Forbes top 30 of 30-year-olds. Wow. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, sure. However, I said to Heidi, because I knew the story, I, I, Heidi would go to like a great sushi dinner and when she didn't have money. And I'd go, Heidi, how are you affording this? She goes, and I'm going to make up this name, but she says, Rebecca's parents give her a credit card, and so it's always on Rebecca's parents. And I said, well, how does she pay for this great lifestyle? It's her parents. Now, her parents have money. They live in another state, and Rebecca's living the high life in, in New York. Now, she made Forbes top 30 of 30. But the truth is, is that parents are still it's being supplemented. Oh, my God. So I said to Heidi, I said, she was asking me about the book one time. And uh, I said, well, here's what I'm telling people. I'm saying, you know, you kind of can't do the whatever your friend's name is. Mm -hmm. Her parents probably aren't, are enabling her and not helping her. And she goes, Dad, you're going to ruin a lot of you know, <laughs> young adults' lives uh -huh. by doing that by because the truth. parents yeah. are doing that. Yeah. And what's fascinating, Roger, is 70, like talk about finances, and there is a chapter on what I call the money pit, but 75% of, of adult kids have their parents at one time or another helping them financially. I don't even see that as a problem. Mm -hmm. What I see as the problem is when they're enabling them so much that they're not becoming responsible with their finances because really one of the goals is to become financially responsible. Right. So as parents, that's where you don't want to just hand them the credit card, where you just don't want to keep paying those things, even if it's a little bit. I love the illustration of the counselor who charges $20. Well, you know what? I bet you if there was somebody who was destitute, that counselor would give them $20. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you just, that's how we do life. I, mm -hmm. I get that. But there is a, there is a, a theme to that with our adult children that they've got to learn to become responsible. They're not going to learn to become responsible when we're taking care of them. It's like the old movie. I mean, Again, I love movies, and I know you do too. I mean, and you know, some people have like these intellectual movies. I, the movie Failure to Launch, mm. another generation, yep. hilarious movie, not a Christian movie. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't recommend it for everybody. But the truth is, is you know, one of the great lines in it was his dad goes, "He's thirty-three years old. What we've got here is a, you know, failure to launch." And the, and the son, his name was Trip, says, "You know what? I've lived in this bedroom since I was six, and it's been wonderful. I don't see myself needing to leave. Mm. Well, he's 33 years old. He, yeah. he does need to leave. Yeah. We have to be intentional about it. Mm -hmm. Talking with Dr. Jim Burns today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue, we're going to talk about in-laws. We'll talk about blending stepfamilies. And we'll even talk about grandkids, too, because I know you're the fun grandpa, and I'm the one who's with a couple other grandparents saying, hey, I'm fighting, taking a number, just trying to get my time with my kid. So we'll talk about that in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. 
And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Always a great conversation with Dr. Jim Burns on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we're talking about Jim's brand new book called "I Want to Say Failure to Launch." We don't uh, care. that 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 that'll get someone's attention. But the book is called "Doing Life with Your Adult Children," and we haven't really gotten into the whole. I mean, part of it is for the kids who do have a failure to launch, and we have a hard time telling our thirty-year-old you're not going to be on the phone plan anymore or whatever it is. But then there's also, well, what about the ones who do get married, and they, you know, now there's in-laws to deal with, or maybe there's a divorce, and you're remarried, and the other one's remarried, and you've got to deal with the whole blended family, too. That creates a whole set of problems in and of itself. It sure does. And I would say that a lot of the people who are listening to me speak these days are coming to me saying that I don't really like the person my uh, son is dating. I don't like who my daughter married. Uh, my daughter got a divorce, and now they're moving back. They're, they're living back home. Mm-hmm. I can't get to my grandkids because the daughter-in-law is blocking that. Mm-hmm. And, because everything's know, on her side, exactly. And that, that seems and, and you know, yeah. and and it's it's not easy, and 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 yet we can be parents, and then even grandparents on some that can criticize and be negative about how they're parenting or how they're living their life or how mm-hmm. they're doing their life. But one of the things I say is, you know, keep your mouth shut and mm-hmm. and actually be positive, be a cheerleader, be the the their favorite whatever. Yeah, I was talking to a, a woman who I love very much. I just love this woman, and she does great stuff. And uh, she was having trouble because she has a son, and the daughter-in-law was pretty much not allowing her to be in touch much with her son and kind of blocking the grandkid. And then later, it was working. And I said, well, what would you do? She goes, you know what? I did it with a Starbucks card. Mm. She said, I realized that my daughter-in-law was – if I had – well, let me say it this way. I want access to my son, and I want access to my grandson. Now they have a couple more. And I wasn't getting it because the daughter-in-law was straight-arming me a little bit. And so I realized I needed to put energy into a daughter-in-law who probably I wouldn't say is my favorite. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have been who I had chosen. You know? right. And I hear okay. a lot of people say that. So she bought a Starbucks card one day, $25, knocked on the door and said, hey, I was just in the area and I was thinking about you and I, I got you a little gift. And she goes, well, thank you. She didn't invite her in. The gr- mm-hmm. She can see her grandson. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ouch. So the next week she went, I'm going to do that again. So she did it again. She was invited in. Over a period of time, she goes, you know what? Do you want to – the baby's doing really good right now. Do you want to go to Starbucks? And so she developed this relationship with her daughter-in-law, and guess what happened? She Mm -hmm. got access to her Mm -hmm. son. She got access to the um, grandchild. Now there's three of them. But I love that story because she figured out how do I get to somebody – and she wasn't doing this in a manipulative manner. She was doing it in a, in a kind, loving manner. Guess who's the big influence in their life now? Mm-hmm. Grandma. Love it. How great is that? Yeah. But, you know, there is a blend. You know, when we talk about the blended family, well, a lot of people who work in that uh, world, in the parenting world, I hardly ever use the word blended family. And I, I realize there's a chapter in the book called The Blend. But 
the blended family, a husband, a man and a woman fall in love, and then they expect all the kids to totally right. fall in love right. with each other, and then with the ex, I mean, not with the ex, but with the uh, one that they marry, that doesn't happen as easy. So you've got to work that carefully. A friend, another friend of mine who has a son, uh, we ask, what what does the uh, mother of the groom do because we have all girls. Well, you wear beige and you keep your mouth shut. <laughs> well, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Because if you do wear beige and keep your mouth shut, eventually they'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. And it's that. about influence and, you know, be the cheerleader for them. Be mm-hmm. the the babysitter. Be the person who, you know, comes by with that gift, like the Scar- Starbucks card or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if they don't live in the area, you know, be the one who sends them neat things. But don't preach and don't lecture. And, yeah. and you know, I think they'll come around. I think that's good advice. Uh, Dr. Jim Burns, the author of the brand new book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, Keep Your Mouth Shut and the Welcome Mat Out. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You have a chapter in your book on grandkids. Mm. And I know that you love your grandkids. Oh, I do. Your grandson, your granddaughter. Yeah. Well, trust me, you flood my Instagram with all your pictures and things like that. But (laughs) but I think it's wonderful. I don't do any like meaningful stuff on my Instagram. (laughs) This is terrible. People can follow me and Uh then they'll not want to. And but I show pictures of, you know, them swimming. Well, and, pictures and, of them. and it's got to be fun for you too oh. to have a grandson who's your namesake. Oh, oh my I'm goodness! Yeah. yeah, and it cracks me up too every time I see how much hair James has. Oh, that kid has hair, and yeah. I don't. Right. So. Well, you did at one point. I did. Uh, let, let's talk about the the, the grandchild relationship mm-hmm. because not every relationship with an adult child is bad, obviously, and but there's still th- things that you have to navigate. And no one taught us how to be grandparents. No, too. no. You know, it, I think it's the greatest legacy that we can have. And I, I was talking with somebody, I was just speaking in Miami, you know, and somebody said, you know, we, we moved here from Wisconsin and uh, we do see our kids, you know, once, maybe sometimes twice a year, mm-hmm. but we decided we're kind of doing our own thing. So we're going to travel, we're going to do this. And I thought, oh my goodness, you're missing mm-hmm. the chance to have a legacy. Yeah. So I think one of the greatest opportunities for grandparents is to have that legacy, whether it be a spiritual legacy. Uh, when you start looking at who influences kids and kids say number one is mom, number two is dad, number three is grandma and grandpa. So you can you can have an incredible influence. With with James, Charlotte's 17 months, so it's gonna start happening. But with James, uh, you know, I mean I read through the children's Bible with him when he was little. Good and you. you know, he he loved that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's we're saddling up next to each other. I don't have to, you know, I can sneak some gelato. I'll just admit it. I've yeah. done a little bit of that for that kid. Uh-huh. You know, I can sneak some things to him as a as a dad. I, I need to be careful. I need to make sure that I'm doing what Christy and Steve want. Right. But at the same time, I can I can influence him in so many different ways. And Roger, I'll tell you, every day I pray for my kids, mm-hmm. my grandkids, and I pray that whatever anointing is in my life is transferred to James and transferred mm-hmm. to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And to do that, that means that. I want to I want to be actively involved in them and the good news today is that even if grandparents are out of the house away from their their kids um, maybe just by state by state or you know on the other side of the country or another part of the world they can be in touch regularly yeah you know there's 70 million grandparents in the uh, in the United States wow and unfortunately only about 50% of them are really very actively involved in their grandkids lives mm-hmm. I'm saying no oh, you're missing out on that yeah, yeah. and one of the things that I've seen just as a culture watcher now for the past eight years is the influence that grandparents have is more essential now than when we were growing up in our grand. I mean, we could see our grandparents a couple times a year and it was not that big a deal. But now the, the erosion of values mm-hmm. in the culture, the things that used to get reinforced that don't, it's a lot of pressure on parents. 
And it's really almost more than just a mom and dad can yeah. handle. Grandma and grandpa really, if you are in the faith tradition that we are, right. need to be present. Oh, I think you're right. I mean, what I, my mom passed away when my kids were young, and my dad remarried a woman who I love and adore. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. now passed, too. Her name was Virginia. But she said every morning before she got out of bed, she prayed for my kids. Well, that almost brings tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. So I figure we're a part of James and Charlotte's, and we'll probably have more, um, faith development issues. So what can we do to – we want to be the the ones who are, are are sending them the Bible. We want to be the ones yes. who who take them to church. If our kid our kids go to church, but if they didn't, we would take them to church. Mm-hmm. We want to be the ones who pray for them um, and engage spiritually as well as other ways. I mean, I think it, I remember the I was we were at the beach one day and James was about two and I could see a little kid hitting a ball on a tee ball mm. and I went my my goodness that kid's pretty good. How and so I said to the parents how old is he and he said oh it's amazing you know he's almost three. I, bought, I went on Amazon.com, whether what people think of Amazon. I bought a T-ball, and that kid had a T-ball at two, and mm-hmm. he's an amazing hitter now. Nice. So part of that is I, I don't care if he's an amazing hitter. I care that I get to hang out with him, and he's really anxious to show me how good he's gotten since mm-hmm. he's you know been in Texas or whatever. Yeah. So those are the those are the great times that you can have, and you know those are very. I look back at even though I wasn't raised in the Christian world, but my grandparents had. You know, and, and different ones uh, more important than others, but had really significant impact in my life. Part of it was because they remembered me, and they didn't just give me, you know, socks and underwear for Christmas, but they mm-hmm. gave me fun things, and mm-hmm. they were fun people. So what I want to do is be the party time grandpa, mm-hmm. which means when grandpa comes to town or when James comes into my present, I want to stop what I'm doing and and have a party. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be fancy, but that's what. I want to be that kind of person because I actually had I watched my mom do that and I watched my grandma do that for me. Mm-hmm. That's so important for us to remember as grandparents who are adults who have adult children mm-hmm. is that whole continuum doesn't just stop because you have a lousy relationship with your kids or because they won't yeah. you know accept those values. We've got about sixty seconds left, Jim, in our time together. Talk to that parent right now who says, "I don't understand my kid. We did everything right. At least we thought we did." And he's just having a hard time. She's just having a hard time moving into adulthood. What's a good first step? Well, I think the first step is keep the relationship open. I've met so many parents who are so devastated because it's not working. Kids are making poor choices. But in the long run, you're still the most important influence in their life. And you'll have to you'll have to do the changing because you can't now parent them day to day. You're like I said earlier, you know, two decades of your life were about control and now it's more about mentoring. But we do see them come back. The Bible is true. Train up a child in the way that you would have them live and you've done that. In the end, they will come back. It doesn't say there won't be with some bumps and bruises. So, mm. you know, be patient. Uh, and then watch God work. That's a good reminder. I, it never occurred to me when I think of that Proverbs 22, 6 verse, that when the child will, would not you know, soon depart from it or will return to it, that they might not come back looking like they were that Revolutionary War guy, you know, with the bandana <laughs> thing, kind of walking with a limp, <laughs> right. maybe a black eye and a fat lip right. going, okay, I'm back. Right, but, but still your yeah, kid. Still your kid. Absolutely. Okay, Dr. Jim Burns, doing life with your adult children, keep your mouth shut and the welcome mat out. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jim, always great to have you in Studio. Great Thanks to be with, with you, Roger, and you just always do a great job. What a great dialogue today here on The Bottom Line, and it's Everyone Wednesday, the first Everyone Wednesday of 2024, 
And I want to congratulate everyone in advance who's going to win because we have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of Dr. Jim Burns' classic book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Uh, leave the welcome mat out and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Those are the first two principles. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away. We got eight books that we're giving away today. Two guests, each of them brought four copies of their books. So what a great way you are going to kick off this everyone Wednesday for 2024 in style 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line we'll take a quick break and when we come back some final thoughts about how doing life with your adult children has changed so much over the years and I'll tell you why today is a very special day in my life for that whole adult children process. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Hey, we're coming up on the end of the year. There's just a few days left for you to get in on this special matching gift that Preborn has available for listeners of the bottom line. And I'm so excited to thank some of our bottom line show listeners who have given locally here in the Southern California area and also people all throughout the network who have made donations as well. Thank you, Barry, for your $150 donation. Barry's in Whittier, my hometown, Tamara's hometown too. Thank you for that $150 donation. Because of your generosity, that $150 now with the matching gift is worth $300. And we appreciate you ringing us up there at 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229-BABY. Or by going online, you can make your best year-end tax-deductible donation to Preborn when you go to kbrightradio.com, look for the Preborn banner and follow the prompts. If it's easier, go to rogermarsh.com and we've got the banner there as well. Remember, there's a special double matching gift in place now through December 31st. Your $150 donation like Barry made becomes a $300 donation. And I can't tell you how important those donations are. Every dollar goes to helping to provide ultrasound technology for women who are deciding what they are going to do with their pregnancies. Go online to kbrightradio.com today and click the preborn banner right now. My thanks again to parenting and family expert, Dr. Jim Burns, for joining me in studio today here on The Bottom Line. His landmark book is called Doing Life with Your Adult Children. How, uh, when, leave the doormat out and keep your mouth shut. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I mentioned we have eight different books to give away today, Two for, or four from Dr. Jim Burns and four from our next guest, Brad Hambrick. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book. And for me personally, this is a very appropriate uh, day to be giving this book away because today, January 3rd, is my daughter Emily's birthday. Uh, Emily is in our, Lisa and I have six kids in our blended family, and Emily is the oldest. She's also the shortest. Uh, <laughs> she was also the longest and heaviest at birth. Go, go figure. But uh, Emily was born on January 3rd, 1988. Uh, you can do the math. I was taught, I'm old school, you never tell a lady's age, so I'm, you can do the math of what year it is now and what year she was born. But this is going to be such an exciting year for Em. During the pandemic, she kind of hunkered down after helping support her husband through college and went back and got her master's degree. She's an instrumental music teacher uh, in a, a Hoyfus Middle School in uh, Conroe, Texas. Uh, she and Brian and their son Isaac have been living there for a couple of years now, and they are getting ready to welcome son number two uh, coming up in March. The thing I love about Em is she's just, she's very... Uh, diligent. She's very winsome. I've never seen a kid when she was growing up, every girl, 
and Guy wanted to be her friend. She was just that way, very sweet, very straightforward, very thoughtful. And it's been challenging for us because her mom and I divorced when she was about uh, 19 or so. And uh, we went through all, I did that with all three of my biological kids, you know, having to kind of work through those issues. And uh, then when I remarried, it was, it, was, it was a challenge for her. There's no question about it. And I remember reading, I mean, Jim and I worked together, Jim Burns, and I worked together for 20 years. And when Doing Life With Your Adult Children came out, the first book of his I read cover to cover and made a lot of notes on, not because I was preparing for the interview, but because I wanted to find out how to do this right. And I, I love the exchanges that we have. Um, and I'm so happy that you're celebrating today and that you and Brian are expecting uh, that second little bundle of joy coming up on March the 12th. And a uh, sentimental day for me because she said she had a C-section with her first son, Isaac, and um, she's anticipating a C-section again this time. And uh, the C-section is scheduled for March 12th, 2024, which is the sixth anniversary of my open heart surgery. And that season when I prayed that God would allow me to see my grandchildren. And I'm grateful to have um, Emily's two boys and Kaylee has a daughter on the way. And then Lisa and I met and married and I inherited three more grandkids that way. And I'm just, I'm very grateful. But take to heart, if you have an estranged relationship with an adult child, take to heart that they're looking at you and you're looking at them and you're trying to figure out how this is going to work out. Who's going to make the first move to make things right? We like to think of the prodigal son saying, well, I came to my senses and went home to my father, and that's how we got this thing right. But at the beginning of our relationship with God, he created us perfectly to be in heaven, and of course, sin entered the camp. So when it came time to reconcile relationship, guess who made the first move? It was the heavenly father who loved the world so much and loved you and me so much that he gave his only begotten son, that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And once God started the ball rolling, when it comes to salvation, um, if you are looking for a, an opportunity to make things right with your adult children and things aren't there yet, then I encourage you to get the counsel that you need, but you make the first move. Pray about it and, uh, and, and do that. Make the first move. Um, four copies of Jim Burns' book, Doing Life with Your Adult Children, we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. Our KCBC audience is dismissed to go listen live to Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming your way next on that station. For those who remain on the network and KCBC audience, you're going to get this at 7 o'clock tonight on Bottom Line uh, Extra here on KCBC. Um, counseling is playing a bigger and bigger role in churches all across America. And pastor and author Brad Hambrick has written a book called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling and Mod Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. We have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away. I want you to win a copy and give it to your pastor. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. Brad Hambrick joins me next as the bottom line continues. It's becoming more and more apparent that as life is getting more complex, people who go into pastoral ministry are saying, wow, you know, there are things about pastoral ministry I didn't realize. Like, I didn't realize I was going to have to be an accountant. I didn't realize I was going to have to be an attorney. These are all things pastors have told me. But one of the biggest issues, hands down, has been church-based counseling. Why is it that more and more people are looking for this type of care? And why is it that more and more churches are saying we really need to be in a situation where we can actually put forth this care? Brad Hambrick is with me today here on The Bottom Line, joining us once again to talk about a brand new book that he's put together called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care, part of the Church-Based Counseling series. And we've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brad Hambrick, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. 
Uh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the invitation again. Let's talk about uh, church-based counseling as it is, because I know I've, I've, I know people who are counselors. I know people who are pastors. Um, the idea that a church would say, okay, we want to go ahead and do this. It's not like you can just say, great, somebody put out a shingle and say, we've got counseling here at the church. There's a little bit more to it. And especially mm -hmm. since you're the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, you know what you're talking about. Talk, help us understand what is involved in a church saying, we want to take this step. Right. And counseling, uh, in many ways, counseling is a word like dog. Uh, it has a very broad meaning. Uh, so the <laughs> yeah. word dog can mean everything from poodle, which is like a cat that barks, uh, to a Great Dane, which is a horse that people let live in their house. <laughs> and when we say counseling in the church, people don't always know what we mean. Mm. Do we mean small group members caring for one another as they do life together? Do we mean somebody who's got an advanced degree? Do we mean a lay person serving as a general practitioner? Uh, and so one of the first things that I try to do is help churches understand what they mean, because I don't think there's one right answer to that question. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is that a church is clear and that the people reaching out for help know the kind of help that they're going to get. Uh, and then once a church becomes clear, uh, then there's a couple of things that I think are much more obtainable uh, and still high quality, high impact uh, than the average church considers when they first think, hmm, I think we'd like to start a counseling ministry. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. It's good counsel from Dr. Brad Hamburg, I should point out, uh, who's the author of this brand new book uh, that we've got linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book is called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. And, you know, quite frankly, this is an interesting book. Uh, it's the first of the church-based counseling series, and it really is designed to be very practical. But it also talks, as you mentioned, about the different models. And the idea, too, the, the one-size-fits-all, unfortunately, that a lot of churches follow. And you've seen this happen, and I have, too. One-size-fits-all for evangelism. One-size-fits-all for men's, women's ministry, whatever it is. What are the big guys doing? I'm going to make this work in my congregation. That's really not the most effective way to go. What is there an ideal size a church should be before they should say this is something we should have? I'm imagining a good sized church would probably need it, but how small can a church be and still have a church counseling ministry? Well, the type of ministry that I advocate for in that book, uh, the most achievable, I think, for a church, regardless of size, uh, would be a counseling ministry built primarily off of group based counseling mm -hmm. uh, and mentoring. Okay. Um, and so there, when you have somebody that has a particular life experience that God has helped them find freedom or hope in the midst of, mm -hmm. uh, you can start a group uh, before you start a group's ministry or a ministry of groups. And so uh, I happen to serve at a very large church now. Uh, the town that I grew up in, uh, I was in high school before they paved the road in front of my house. And so the church <laughs> yeah. I grew up in there was yeah. not a large church by any means. Uh -huh. uh, and so in writing this kind of book, I wanted both churches in mind uh, where a large church says, hey, we may do this on a larger scale. But even in a smaller church, you've got people with some powerful testimonies that if you weren't asking them to be a pseudo professional. Mm -hmm. with intake forms and using case notes and getting to know a stranger from a set of intake forms forward, but they're providing a group that uses a good curriculum. And that becomes a place 
where people with like struggle can come and encourage one another, uh, then I would say that's something that a church of any size can begin to do for its own members and its own community. Dr. Brad Hambrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the brand new book is called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. A couple of terms that you identify in the book I think are helpful for us to understand before we go any further. Uh, you have a whole chapter that's entitled, What is G4? Uh, so what is G4? <laughs> yeah. Let's put it out there. And so G4 is a model of group-based counseling. Uh, so think something like AA, uh, celebrate recovery, probably are distinctive, uh, mm -hmm. is we have two nine-step models. Uh, so it's a step work curriculum-based uh, ministry. But one of our plumb lines is the gospel speaks to both sin and suffering. Mm. It just speaks to them differently. The gospel offers freedom and forgiveness from sin. It offers comfort and hope amid suffering. And when you get into all of the counseling wars and debates that exist, usually it's people trying to decide, is sin and responsibility more at the forefront? Is suffering more at the forefront? Uh, and I think the answer is yes. Mm. Uh, for some people, the struggle is more one than the other. And so instead of getting caught up in the debate as if it was going to be one size fits all, mm -hmm. you know, if you're struggling with grief, trauma, betrayal, those are suffering struggles. Uh, if you're working with anger, if you're working with addiction, purity, those are responsibility-based struggles. And so let's have paradigms that help us see how the gospel that speaks to both of those, not broadly and generically, but very specifically to individual struggles, mm -hmm. uh, so that we can build a group around that. Mm. that that's, I, I appreciate that. I mean, the fact that it is so helpful and practical and moldable, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, Brad Hambrick, the, the idea that you can actually put something like this together, which gets us again out of the one size fits all. But I still hear the Lord loves us equally, but not all the same, you know, that that type of thing. And I imagine the counseling model uh, has to follow that as well. Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care is the name of the book. And I just ran right through the subtitle too. We've got the link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Another term that you use in this book, GCM, what does that stand for? What's that all about? Uh, so that is uh, Gospel-Centered Marriage. Uh, that is a premarital mentoring ministry. Uh, mm. That's one of the models that uh, that we just love uh, at our church. It is one of the most beautiful intergenerational ministries uh, that we have. That's an ideal that a lot of churches aspire to, but uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm running out of pigment in my hair. It's going gray <laughs> to white fast. Yeah. And how many places do we have with those with faded hair and those with highly styled hair get together in a meaningful way? Premarital ministry, mm -hmm. uh, that mentoring where you're allowing those saints that have decades of marriage experience and those that are just starting on this journey to get together. Uh, and at our church, when mentors come to me and they talk about their mentees, it's like they're talking about their children and mm. grandchildren. Yeah. Um, and it, when you hear mentees talk about their mentors, it's, it really is this deep appreciation for an older couple that's investing in them. Uh, and to, to hear them talk about relationships that what we asked for initially uh, is about a six to nine month commitment. Start mm -hmm. six months before the wedding, go uh, about three months after. But if that does its job like we design it to do, 
most of these become lifelong informal relationships of doing life together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, at a larger church where we've got a lot of college and young professionals, uh, we wanted a way to forge those relationships. And that really has become a beautiful way to do that, that we'd love to see other churches take and use and adopt. I think that's a it's a wonderful idea. It's a brilliant concept. And for those who are watching our conversation here at myhopenow.com, you know that I have way more of those faded hairs that Brad was talking about than he does. But nonetheless, there comes that point where you say, I want to help. I want to be a part of this. And you and I both realized that there were mentors that helped us along during our younger years. And now to be able to continue that, it's tougher to do in an era when so many young people have been kind of taught they're the center of the universe and they could find every answer to anything online. Um, that one-to-one mentoring really does have a place. Dr. Brad Hambrick, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, I'm Roger Marsh. Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling is the brand new book, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. And we'll be talking more about this on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. Here's Dennis Wilson of Wilson Financial Services with a reminder that your investments do more than just make money. They actually change lives. This Christmas, we gave our family the gift of life. So I thought, let's do the same for our Wilson Financial clients. A way of saying thank you for being in partnership with us in the ministry. What we're going to do to honor our clients is we're going to fund 100 ultrasounds per month, each month for the next 12 months through preborn. Also, each quarter, we're going to buy an ultrasound machine. And at the end of the year, those machines will be saving an average of 1,600 children per year. We do this to honor and inform our clients of this great ministry and to say thank you for being our clients and being our friends. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Dr. Brad Hambrick is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Brad is the author of a brand new book called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brad has a master's in theology and a doctorate in education, serves as the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church at Durham, North Carolina, also an assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and a council member of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, author of several books and a repeat guest here on the Bottom Line Show. This is an interesting uh, concept, this idea of uh, church-based counseling, biblical counseling uh, at a church campus level. I guess one question I haven't asked yet that I probably should is, we're talking about mentors and mentees and group leaders and small groups and things of that nature. And here's the question I have, where is the senior pastor or the associate pastor in all of this? I mean, is this something where they have to get headfirst involved, or maybe they can kind of be uh, leading at an arm's length and shepherding the rest of the congregation as well? So the concept that I use for these kinds of ministries is that these are very much Acts 6 deacon-style ministries. Okay. Uh, so if you remember in Acts 6, you know, the uh, the preacher, teacher, elder, leaders of the early church were overwhelmed with the care of widows. Right. Uh, and that's when God kind of appointed the office of deacon. And it wasn't that pastors stopped shepherding widows. Pastors still did all the same shepherding things for widows they did before deacons. Mm-hmm. But deacons ran point. They kept the list. They knew who was uh, gluten-free and who needed stuff on Tuesday and that type of stuff so that the pastor was free to provide their normal shepherding care with the flock as a whole, which included that acute need group. 
And so as a counseling ministry like this begins to care for more acute needs in the church, whether it's through groups or mentoring, uh, the pastors are still going to shepherd uh, both participants and leaders in that ministry. Okay. Uh, but it's the lay leaders in that ministry in the same way that deacons run point on some acute needs, they're going to run point on these needs. And okay. so if people are thinking like, how does this fit with my ecclesiology? How does this fit with how I think about the church? Think of these ministries as Act 6 deacon style ministries. Mm-hmm. That's good counsel. Um, and especially when we think about how the tendency of a lot of churches and a lot of pastors is let's pile everything on the senior pastor's shoulders, burn him out, then get frustrated when he gets frustrated, run him out of the church and bring in somebody else. I mean, that, mm-hmm. I, I realized that was probably a great uh, commercial to encourage people to go into ministry, and get burned out like that. But <laughs> I, I realized as I was saying that, but that unfortunately, you know that I know that that's what happens, especially in a lot of lo- smaller churches is everyone just mm-hmm. kind of figures the pastor is going to do everything. So I love the fact that you have this diaconal model uh, instead. Uh, Brad Hambrick, if we were a church that was considering uh, a church-based counseling model, and we read through your work, we would come to uh, the chapter that you have on the challenges that uh, pastors and churches run into as well. Is there any reason, I mean, I don't want to go through all those challenges here, we don't have enough time, but is there any reason why a church might look at everything, kind of assess the situation, look at the congregation, and then say, and that's not for us? Um, And so what I try to do there is I state 10 common objections or 10 hesitancies Mm -hmm. uh, and then look at the opportunities that those challenges present. Uh, And so, you know, one is if you start a church-based counseling ministry, that ministry is going to become a lightning rod. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to attract the crises in your church. Um, And some people look at that and go, ah, we... Uh, we would rather kind of hear no evil, see no evil, speak right, no evil. This, right. this is hard. Very true. But having a counseling ministry doesn't create those crises. Hmm. Uh, it gives us a conduit where people can come to us and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And the reality is no counseling ministry is going to do everything. Right. And so as you intentionally think about what it looks like to start a ministry, you're going to, be able to say, here are the things that we can do well. Here are the things that we need to find community partners for. Um, and, uh, you know, in ministry, uh, we do, we, we're going to disappoint some people because we're human, we're limited. Um, it, it's not that we're too busy. It's that we're finite. And a lot of pastors need to hear what I just said. It's not that we're too busy. It's that we're finite. It's that we have limits. And so those things that we can do and we can mobilize and we can find people to do those well, we want to do as much as we can to create those kind of ministries within our church. Yes. And then those things that are outside of our limits, we we don't want people to get inadequate care. We want to befriend them. We want to come alongside. We want to shepherd. But we're in a supportive role, less in the directive role if it's not things we can do well. And let's find some community community partners who do those things. Uh, and that's where you know mobilizing is all about. Do what you can do well. Mm-hmm. Grow from there. Identify community partners as you see what it is that you're needing to refer to other people in your community. You're seeing what kind of needs have clustered in your church. And that's what you begin to specifically look for. How do we get a group together for that? Because we're having to use our community partners for that more than we want to. Uh, we want to we have an option for that in our church. And again, having 
groups allows you, instead of one layperson being able to minister to like two or three other people, right. which if you go with a pseudo professional model, these two to three people is about all that lay counselor can care for. Right. Because they're right. doing this in their hobby time. Mm-hmm. But if they're doing this as a group, then all of a sudden that same layperson can care for like six to 10 mm. uh, in a group context. And the thing when you do lay counseling in that pseudo professional role, counselees don't graduate and become counselors. Mm. But when you've got a group model, that person in group who's been there for a little while, they become a co-leader. And mm, once they get yeah. comfortable being a co-leader, they be, and all of a sudden this does multiply and replicate in the same way. It, it's a much more organic model to the ecosystem of a church where it can grow the way other things in the church grow. Uh, and I think that's what just makes it much more sustainable uh, for churches to do these kind of models of care. I just think it fits our environment really well. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick is with me today here on The Bottom Line. The book, Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. Um, we've got a couple moments left in our time together, Dr. Hambrick, and I would love for you to, uh, to help us understand why this is so important now more than ever before. It seems like a generation ago, uh, maybe even two generations ago, if people were dealing with problems, they either kept them to themselves or they just tried to find a way to fix it. And that wasn't a very healthy model at all. But then you see people who are in the church and saying, you know, what about the woman who's post-abortive who says, I can't really talk to anybody about this because they shame me for having had an abortion rather than saying, this is where I am. I'm grieving. I need some help. Um, help the pastoral staff that are listening here and, and lay people as well who are thinking we should probably be doing this at our church, but we've got some questions. What, what's a good way for them to address those issues? Yeah. So in terms of understanding what group-based model of counseling would look like, uh, that's why I wrote Mobilizing. Uh, and so if they're just like, ah, how do I, how do I get my mind around what you're talking about? That book really is meant to be the, the initial survey uh, to the example that you gave. Uh, once you start to have a group-based model of counseling and somebody comes and says, hey, I would love it if we had a church for, and one of those subjects that our church is like post-abortive care. Uh, and so uh, we have a, a group, it's called Surrendering the Secret. Uh, and it's mm. for, for ladies that they're like, hey, this is, this is something I'm carrying. Yeah. And I've never felt like I could talk about it at church. Uh, and so just the ability to say, yeah, we, here's a spot where you can lead a ministry on that. And it, Oftentimes, it's very redemptive for the leader. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a it's a refuge for the participant. And then, as people are coming and they're like, "Hey, this is a need in our community," um, you know, you need a leader, you need a curriculum, right? And you need a critical mass of people that would say, "Hey, I want to work with that." And as soon as you have those three things you can launch a new group, and it allows you when people are bringing that to you to have a, hey, let's explore this together. Mm. Uh, if this is an need, let's talk about it. And it gives you a way as a pastor. Mm. Instead of just saying yes or no, we yeah. can or can't. Let's explore something that even if the answer is not yet, there's some work that we need to do. They see you invested in their struggle. 
that you care. And even if the answer is a delay, it's a much more compassionate, invested, uh, coming alongside of you delay uh, that that helps that member feel much more affirmed and encouraged. I love that. That's so helpful. And this is such a practical resource. Can't recommend it enough, whether you have a counseling ministry at your church and you're looking to enhance it, or you're thinking about this because the times are perilous and people are needing extra help. And this is a perfect opportunity for your congregation to step up and meet those needs as God is leading you. Uh, Dr. Brad Hambrick, the book is called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Brad, always a pleasure. Good to see you here on our Zoomcast mm -hmm. as well. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Oh, thank you again for the invitation. Well, special thanks again. Thank you, Dr. Brad Hamrick, for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Hambrick, I should say, make sure I get that right. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's basically a great resource for pastors to have and churches to have. It's called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. We have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away here on this Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. Eight hundred two two seven five two seven eight is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, some final observations about church-based counseling, doing life with your adult kids, the recurring theme of today's program here. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. As we are gearing up for the end of the year, and of course the uh, New Year's Eve parties, also make sure you have your financial house in order with any charitable contributions you want to make. I recommend Preborn, the only place in America where a woman can go get a free ultrasound and then have all three explanations of what her options are, either birth of the child, release the child for adoption, or in states where it's legal, you can get an abortion as well. Um, but that 85% of the time, though, women who go to preborn clinics, even though they know that that's an option, they don't choose it. They choose life for their baby. I want to thank a couple of people who made donations to Preborn recently from outside of Southern California, but they're bottom line show listeners. David, who lives in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and listens on KLTT, gave a donation of $140 to Preborn. Thank you so much, uh, David, for that gift. Also, Royal, one of our listeners in Boulder, Colorado, looks like a KLTT listener as well, a $28 donation. Both of those gifts, plus any amount you donate right now, now through December 31st, will be doubled thanks to that special matching grant. And remember, if you give a $7,500 donation, which is completely tax deductible, Preborn will double that. That provides $15,000 and a new ultrasound machine. Oh my goodness, think of how many babies' lives you'll save. Go to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. Click on the Preborn banner right now. My thanks again to Dr. Brad Hambrick for joining me today here on the program to talk about the issue that so many churches are dealing with. How do we start a counseling ministry? We really don't know where to start. Brad has written a book for churches called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. So many parents are dealing with issues like transgenderism in their kids and young people. So many older adults are saying, hey, we've been married 35, 40 years and we want a divorce. And you talk to the pastor and the pastor says, wow, I wasn't prepared for this in seminary. Dr. Brad Hambrick's book will help your pastor, your church council, your leadership, uh, consider the options for creating a church-based counseling model at your congregation and then do it. Now we have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of this book to give away here on this Everyone Wednesday. And I encourage you, get this copy of copy of this book, give it to your pastor, give it to your church council. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 
is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Also, uh, make sure you dial in on the giveaway for Dr. Jim Burns' book, uh, Doing Life with Your Adult Children. Leave the welcome mat out and keep your mouth shut. (laughs) 800-227-5278. We have not one, not two, not three, but four copies of that outstanding book as well. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We all need help. We, I mean, let's face it, the church is not a resort for the saved and sanctified. We're being sanctified, but we're not there yet. It's a hospital for sinners. And whether you are a parent who is estranged from your adult children and you're wondering what happened, maybe you did a real whopper and you're wondering how you can restore that relationship, or maybe your kids are just incorrigible and a pain in the butt. And <laughs> you're like, gosh, I, I, I don't want to not have a relationship with them, but they are kind of frustrating. A church-based counseling model will help you, you know, get that ball rolling on dialogue, these resources that we're giving away to. But remember, reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, empathy, these are all hallmarks of our Christian faith. Think of how much your father loves you and loved you enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for you on the cross. And all you have to do is receive that gift of salvation by grace through faith in him. Now remember, the first way you're gonna demonstrate that you've received salvation is you're going to repent. You're gonna turn away from your sinful life. You're gonna meet Jesus in the waters of baptism. You're gonna join with your fellow brothers and sisters at the table of Holy Communion. You're gonna spend time studying God's word. You're gonna be in fellowship with your other believers. You're gonna go and show the people who knew you as that wild, rambunctious, you know, surly person and say, hey, guess what? It's not like that for me anymore. I'm brand new. I'm a brand new creation. You go and show, but that's how, and then you bear fruit. You start, your your relationship with God begins to grow. You grow more spiritually mature. You grow fruit. People sample that fruit and go, wow, that's great. Where'd you get that fruit? And next thing you know, you're on and it's happening in your world. Um, That's the good news of the gospel. But remember, it starts with a father's love for his children. It starts with a pastor's heart for his congregation, the shepherd for his flock. It starts with us who have the ability to say, I'm going to be Jesus to that person with whom I am needing to be reconciled. I'm going to reconcile with them the same way God reconciled with me. And in Christ, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. So go to it. That's the good news. And that's the bottom line.